Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. The hardest and the sort of biggest challenge is just all of the uniqueness, <laughs> unique uh, situations you find yourself in as a nonprofit. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I am thrilled that you've chosen to spend this time here with us today. Hope that you have had a fantastic holiday weekend for those of you that are celebrating Thanksgiving in the United States. I know that you could be doing anything with your time right now, so I hope that this investment helps you as much as it did me. Many of you are likely aware of Giving Tuesday, which began back in 2012 as an antidote to the consumerism that is Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Well, today, I'm offering my first ever episode dedicated to Giving Tuesday a fitting way to kick off Season 5 and Episode 201 of Suncast. Today's entrepreneur, Christina Skirka, has been a catalyst in the lives of those around her since early childhood, and today she is dedicated to inspiring and empowering entrepreneurs, governments, and nonprofits globally to lift others out of energy poverty. She started Power for All in 2015 with a bold mission. Delivering access to energy for the 85% of the 1.1 billion people without reliable power that live in rural areas of the world by the year 2025. We're closer than you might think, folks, both to the year and to the goal. I hope you'll be inspired to give back and we provide some thoughtful ways that you could do that near the end of today's show. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, on this Giving Tuesday as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, today on this Tactical Tuesday, we are going to dive into a topic that is particularly close to home for me as I came back as a Peace Corps volunteer, got back into life in the real world, life in, uh, in corporate America. One of the things in my heart... And one of the actions that I so longed to take was to address some of the energy disequity, the access to electricity that many of the people experience in real life in, uh, in my Peace Corps service. And as I started to research the, the notion of this bottom of the pyramid and, uh, and folks who don't have access to clean water and electricity, et cetera. And on this Giving Tuesday, as I've uh, intimated, we are going to have an opportunity to really understand how we can give back at a time when... Most people are in consumption mode, <laughs> billions, trillions of dollars being spent in the last week alone. If that's you and this resonates, I hope that you'll stick around and have a listen. Today, we are going to spend some time with Christina Skierka, the CEO and founder of Power for All, which is a global campaign dedicated to accelerating the end of energy poverty for a billion plus people in the world whose mission is to achieve this by 2025. We're going to learn more about that in today's conversation. But first, I want to welcome you, Christina, to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Serendipity as it is, I think that it is amazing that I was able to meet and learn more about Power for All through 
my friend Guled, who many may have listened to his episode on powering solar in uh, in Africa by trading goats. Uh, real story, true story. <laughs> he's uh, he's a pioneer uh, at, at Power Off Grid in uh, in Africa in Somalia, and he introduced me to your colleague Willie. And, and in a conversation with Willie, he said, "You know, uh, I'm I'm honored that Guled said we should um, we should chat, but I really think you need to talk to Christina." Uh, you know, she's the she's the brains behind putting this whole thing together. So here we are today. You, you've got 20 plus years experience in the energy sector and have been a consultant to some of the most important companies that folks uh, in our industry would recognize, as you mentioned some, uh, in our private chat, Recurrent and D-Light and others. I'd love to hear how and when you were, as we might say, bit by the bug, right? Tell me about your first exposure to clean energy or the energy sector broadly and, and how you knew this was the direction you're going to focus your career? Well, you know, starting out um, as a wee one, I was always into organizing and always into the environment. In fact, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I was exactly thorough um, and hanging out on Walden Pond, but for me, nature was always sort of my first love. I grew up in Colorado and getting into the mountains and just really appreciating what nature can do, not just from, you know, the obvious things of, you know, make sure we have good air to breathe and, and whatnot, but just on a personal level, um, uh, it's a deep spiritual and emotional resource for me. Um, so I knew fairly early on that I wanted to do something um, that was somewhat combining my interest in organizing and, um, and supporting the environment. And I tried a whole bunch of different paths. You know, I got involved in political campaigns and land use issues at a very young age. I also, you know, did the sort of uh, requisite of uh, going around and knocking on doors for the Colorado Pergs and asking for donations to, to help support clean water and whatnot. You know, I had uh, dropped off the face of the earth for a couple of years. I, I drove from Boulder, Colorado down to Argentina and I lived in an Estancia in the middle of nowhere without any energy. And it was a great experience, but it was an experience by choice. You know, I was very aware that I was making a conscious choice to live without energy and that a lot of people didn't have that opportunity. And in fact, in driving through Latin America, you know, I would see the difference going in between villages, between those that had an electrical connection and those did not. And the, you know, drastic difference in the demographics and what people were doing for work was really noticeable. I hadn't intended to work in energy per se, but when uh, life uh, ended me up in California, I ended up with a job at the Fletcher Power Campaign. And that was something that was started um, in 2000, 2001, when, when the state was experiencing rolling blackouts. And this was a campaign to really focus on behavior change and behavior modification to save energy. And then somewhere in that mix, I realized the impact of what energy did to the environment. And that if I really cared about the environment, how to do it would be getting involved in the global energy sector and focusing on renewables and democratization of energy. So that's really how I got the bug. Um, and, and here I am 20 years later with an incredible opportunity to really take those lessons learned in the developed world and help transform the energy markets and the developing markets. You know, one of the things that stood out to me, it's, you know, it, it's clear. Uh, I love the, uh, the intentional nature of how you've explored where your skills are best served for achieving the things that you want to see manifest in the world, right? Like the, old, the very idea that you would drive down to Argentina, late 90s, early 2000s, and live without power. I mean, I can identify because in 2002, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in, in Latin America. 
And I know yeah. the troubled times that the late 80s and 90s were in Latin America, right? And obviously mm-hmm. anybody who's, who's been paying attention understands that Argentina has gone through uh, a vast array of changes over the last yeah. uh, two decades, right? One of the things that uh, stands out for me is uh, at an early age, learning the, the power and importance of using your voice and that, that commu- developing a communication style. And as I recall from my conversation with Willie Brent, when you were working with D-Light, which is cer- certainly a name that many who are familiar with uh, off-grid power and uh, power access for Africa uh, would be familiar with, you started really thinking about the limitations of one company trying to do a good thing and the need for more companies like that. So help me un- understand the story that eventually evolved into you know, D-Light saying, hey, this seems amazing. Why don't you go... Uh, carry the flag for us on, on this notion of uh, access to energy for all. Yeah, it was an interesting time. I had been uh, responsible for the statewide energy efficiency strategic plan for California when I was uh, running my own consulting firm, um, Catalytics. And, um, and so I'd done a lot of work in zero net energy, and I just completely fell in love with the idea of not just being able to you know, send energy back to the grid, with a, a, a near, a, you know, a net zero home or business, but you know, I really saw this incredible opportunity to democratize access to energy. And um, when I got engaged with Delight, you know, they were um, really looking at uh, the next stage of growth. And and I just kind of looked around me at all of the sort of partners and competitors in the space. And what I saw was companies that were thinking a little too small and almost apologizing for being profitable and, and really almost diminishing what it was that they were offering. And it, it's sort of like those two pieces came together and I saw this huge opportunity to help with category creation, right? That's essentially what Boat Solar did here in the U.S. with Solar 20 years ago as well. Um, and that there was a need to change the narrative, to change the way people were thinking because of the complete match between what decentralized renewables can offer to the needs of the billion without energy. So that really inspired me. And starting from there, you know, it, it, we originally started this work sort of as a thought leadership campaign for Delight, but it really became too big for one company. And, and you know, fast forward five years to today, um, and we're an organization organization with over 300 partners um, around the world. And I think one of the, the sort of real parts of pride of that for us is that it's a pretty even mix between the large international companies and the local ones in the countries themselves. Um, you know, we need several thousand businesses to uh, drive the level of connection and access that we want to see in the world. So absolutely, this is critical work, but um, the really important part is to get the companies themselves involved in creating the environment they need to succeed. And as I understand, as a part of that, you'd gone out and gotten a grant to address some of the needs that, that D-Light uh, saw sort of in the marketplace. Can you explain that catalytic moment that, that for you sparked the idea of, of power for all and tying it to the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals? I guess if you'd help me understand how and, and when Power for All really coalesced into uh, a, a business or an entity rather than just a, uh, an overwhelming thought leadership project? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great question. Um, no, because we all have those moments and we don't get a lot of them. So it's important, I think, to walk through those 
doors when they're opened. But yeah, essentially, um, you know, so Delight really sort of started out. And I think Sam and Ned would say, you know, is this concept of being a kerosene killer, right? And that was a lot of the inspiration that um, Sam had um, in the early days, also from his his Peace Corps work. And um, one of the things that I was leading the charge on is this is actually a whole new way of energy delivery. It's it's not just about ending kerosene. It's about transforming the global energy sector. With that and developing a narrative, um, we applied for the Zaya Future Energy Prize. And we finally won it after several years of applying with this new narrative. And so, you know, my suggestion was, look, we're beauty queens for a year. Let's go see what we can do. And so we had a series of stakeholder meetings around the world um, with all sorts of partners, competitors, investors. And, you know, I guess the, the one thing that emerged consistently was, was a deep excitement that there was something that could be done to accelerate the end of energy poverty. And also some anger, quite frankly, and some disbelief at some of the common numbers and business as usual approaches about how long it would take, how much it would cost. Because decentralized renewables, you know, with some basic math we showed could get to universal access in a fraction of the cost and time as what all of the business as usual approaches were suggesting. This all coalesced, to use your word, into a, a thought leadership paper called Power for All. And, and it was a pretty amazing reception that we got. You know, we, we put together this great presentation every time we, we shared it. it was, there was so much enthusiasm and um, people always wanted to know what they could do. You know, at that moment, we were like, well, go read the paper, <laughs> you know, share the paper. So it was really responding to sort of a popular demand from the sector itself to turn this into a campaign. And, um, you know, I actually had a moment with one of my very good friends who runs Vogue Solar saying, what happens if I do this? And I knew it would change my life. And, you know, here we are. Um, it hasn't just changed my life, but it's changed the life of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to be part of what actually is a revolution in the way that energy is created, used and paid for. I want to make sure that we don't get caught up in uh, using the lingo and the language without explaining it. Many people have a, have a notion or an idea of what a nonprofit is. The way that Power for All has been described to me as a campaign uh, sets it apart in my mind, and it feels kind of like a meta organization. C can we talk about the structure of Power for All and how it's different from maybe typical nonprofits, how you've structured it to empower other agencies and what the, what the gener generally speaking, what it means to be a campaign and, and the timeline involved? Well, campaigns in, in general um, are very specific about a change they want to see in the world and what a, a timeline might look like for that. So um, when we organized ourselves, um, we wanted to put out a bold vision. And it was based, as I said, on some basic math. But our vision and our belief is that with the right enablers in place, Power for All could be achieved by 2025. And because of the role that energy plays as the great enabler for the other sustainable development goals, it has to get done. We have to achieve this SDG. Um, so that's a little bit of the background on, you know, what is a campaign? And, and then the question, of course, of why, why do we style ourselves as a campaign versus just another NGO? So look, the CSO, as people refer to it in Europe, uh, the CSO sector, civil society organizations or, or NGOs, are incredibly crucial in the work of development, especially as we're in this phase now where 
certain governments um, are uh, sort of uh, seceding uh, from the international stage and um, and taking a different approach to development. So the role of NGOs is is more important than ever. Um, but for us, campaigns are about a continuum, and it's about partnership. So let me explain those two things briefly. The continuum being that we aren't seeking a point solution. Um, it's not our job or our ethos to, you know, get a grant to go to, you know, one piece of capacity building that lasts a year. Um, in the same way we're trying to transform an energy market, we're trying to transform um, that entire CSO community and, and how they think about engaging with energy in their work. So that's a big piece of it. It's empowering others. We, we always hire and focus on local change makers. Um, we're disparate. We certainly aren't interested in building a big bureaucracy or um, creating any sort of center of power. We really want this to be a movement that comes from the bottom up. So that hopefully explains some of it. And um, when it comes to why we're, why we're an NGO versus um, how we started out, which essentially was like a a group of you know really amazing people working together as consultants. A number of our advisors um, had suggested you know this is a bigger problem and you need an institution, and you need more ways of raising money. So <laughs> go ahead and you know solidify your role as a five hundred one c three nonprofit because it's what you actually need for the long haul. So that's why we're set up the way we are, and I hope that gives some some sense about the difference between uh, a campaign style approach and maybe just a traditional uh, NGO who works in development. You know, as I'm hearing, listening, I was kind of racking my brain, and I bet that you've thought about this more than I have. So I'll just ask you directly. It, a lot of times, we want to have this heuristic, this sort of parallel. You know, it's the uh, the X of Y sector. Is there a parallel? campaign or, or, you know, popular movement that folks would be very familiar with that perhaps what you're trying to accomplish with Power for All resembles? To be sure, um, obviously I've mentioned Vote Solar and the work that Adam's done in the U.S. has been a real inspiration for us. But um, in addition, it's the, really the work of Al Gore and the Climate Reality Project that sort of uh, gave us that initial spark. Um, I love the way that they're constantly um, bringing the whole community along with them. And a, a huge piece of the legacy that Al Gore has created and left has really been about empowering others with knowledge, knowledge that can be used for action. And that's really one of the reasons we have um, invested in uh, such a significant research component of the work we do um, and, and have such a, you know, a strong focus on evidence curation. Because we knew that to change the narrative, we needed to do a couple things. We needed, one, to provide evidence and information that could transform the way people think. But importantly, we needed to get that into as many hands as possible. And so that's really the idea with the campaign style approach and a movement. And it's something one would also recognize from the Climate Reality Project, where literally hundreds of thousands of people have been trained. And I have Al Gore slides, right? Like I was part of the first group that was trained back in 2006. And yeah, and to this day, I mean, that's our model. We just want to get this information into local activist hands and really empower people to carry the message because it is, you know, anyone will tell you who works in media and communications, you want to have that repetition of information and you want to have it coming from other sources um, besides just one. And, you know, you want it to, to get wings and that's really the idea. So hopefully that uh, allegory is helpful. It occurs to me that you've spent time uh, in both, you know, with a foot in both camp, obviously last five years really focused on Power for All as a campaign, really 
being in, embedded and washed in uh, the global CSO movement and, and how this all works, how the money flows back and forth. But you have the advantage that you've worked in what we might refer to as corporate America uh, for a time, and you've been able to work on getting consensus, uh, understand how corporate finance structures work, uh, consult with businesses as they grow, which to me, uh, kind of seeing that your background is, is predominantly consulting, uh, which is consensus building and uh, strategic direction. What sort of work models uh, from your previous roles really help you now in this entrepreneurial role? Maybe mental models or management tools that you gained or gleaned from uh, your life before Power for All that you see at work day to day and as you build this organization? A couple things from in my much younger years. Um, I would say, first of all, I used to compete competitively in speech and debate. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, I learned at an early age how to be persuasive and inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to say the least, that is probably one of the most uh, useful skills um, that uh, I apply on a day-to-day basis. Um, but also I had some training um, when I was at university. I went to CU Boulder and we had this amazing program there um, called the President's Leadership Class. And it was literally teaching management and leadership skills to you know 18 and 19 year olds. Um, but some of those lessons really stuck. And um, I think there were two things that I've also sort of adapted from that that I, I have been forced to use originally, but now gladly use. Um, one is oftentimes I was put in situations where I didn't have any sticks to get people to do stuff. <laughs> so I had to use a lot of carrots. Um, and as frustrating as it was at the time, um, not properly empowered in previous jobs and whatnot, um, it actually was an incredibly useful lesson um, and uh, a set of skills that were developed uh, early on. And then, you know, I think more than anything else, empathy. It doesn't necessarily show up in textbooks on leadership or management skills or anything like that. But um, I often find because so much of the work we do is based on relationships, it's based on relationships in the team. It's based on relationships with policymakers. Um, you know, you look at the example of the relationship that we've built with Umeme, one of two profitable utilities in all of Africa, and it's about empathy and trust. So for me, understanding those basics of how emotional intelligence needs to be applied to a business setting, probably the most powerful lessons I've gotten. I have to imagine, though, that there have, uh, it's not without its um, daily, if not hourly, uh, shock to the system. What surprised you the most about your transition from corporate to nonprofit work? <laughs> uh, that's such a great question, and I am learning new things every day. Um, <laughs> I never had fashioned myself necessarily as that of a nonprofit. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's two things. So, like, first of all, the reverse of that question what's easiest? I mean, it's probably getting up every day and being excited about what I do. Um, that feels really great. Um, but the hardest and the sort of biggest challenge is just all of the, you know, uniqueness, <laughs> unique uh, situations you find yourself in as a nonprofit. And um, probably the hardest thing to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is, is how to grow your organization. Um, you know, super brief lesson in nonprofit accounting. Basically, how we've raised most of our funds to date, for example, is through um, very intensive um, program proposals that get funded by a foundation um, or maybe get funded by an agency. And while that's great and certainly keeps the, the sort of ships moving and whatnot, it's not actually money to grow. 
Um, and so this whole need to develop what's known as unrestricted funding, so that's uh, money that comes from online fundraising, high net worth individuals, et cetera, that's precious money to come by and, and very rare. And that's probably the hardest part of the job is you see opportunity and you want to grow your organization. But we have severe limitations on use of funds. And that's very different from the for-profit world. Um, I have to say I miss that on a daily basis. <laughs> hey, you know, the vast majority of commercial businesses who want to purchase solar just can't get a cost-effective PPA because they are unrated or below investment grade. But our partner, Energetic Insurance, can help you unlock this huge market opportunity by covering off-taker payment default risk. This enables savvy developers like you and the banks that you like to work with to do more projects and deploy more capital. If you want a fast and simple way to finance your commercial solar projects, even the big complex ones, go to mysuncast.com forward slash energetic and submit your projects today. 70% of projects qualify, and the review process is drop-dead easy. So go to mysuncast.com forward slash energetic to get started. Hey, are you losing commercial solar sales because of high demand charges that minimize the ROI for your customer? Extensible Energy's Demand X software is an affordable new solution for reducing peak demand charges by 30%. No batteries required. Extensible's intelligent software analyzes solar production, utility rates, weather data, and more. Then it crunches that data, monitors solar and flexible loads, and automatically reduces peak demand spikes, increasing your customer's ROI and decreasing payback time. Head to extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast for a free demand charge analysis for your project and to learn more about Extensible's partner program for commercial solar installers. You can learn more at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. Also, one more quick reminder that on this Giving Tuesday, there are two ways that I'm giving back to you. Number one, I'll be giving away one membership to the Suncast Guild, our inner circle of tribe members. Only two ways to get an entry to that by joining the Suncast tribe mailing list or by taking the listener survey. Both are easy to find at mysuncast.com and both give you an entry into this giveaway. And the second thing is I've decided to give away 30 minutes of clarity coaching for everyone who fills out our coaching application. Just click on the work with me button and fill out that application. I typically charge $150 for a 30 minute clarity call for folks that are looking for some direction in their career or, or whatever they might be uh, seeking in terms of advice. So do take advantage while the offer stands. Coaching applications close on December 15th. I love everything that we're rolling out here in terms of understanding the impact that Power for All can have. It's clear to me that as an, as an agency, as a campaign and organization, its mission is to raise awareness and to help funnel funds in such a way that we can achieve this energy access for all by 2025, which is the core message of your campaign. Now, as we barrel headlong into 2020 with a scant five years left in the campaign, can you give us kind of a state of the union for global energy access? What's still left to be done? Yeah, and I guess what I would say is the following. So, so first of all, there have been some changes in the net numbers of energy access. I think, you know, we're now officially less than a billion 
something like 860,000, 100,000 or something, uh, you know, so we're slightly less than a billion now. But at the same time, what we have is population that is outpacing connections. And that's going to sort of rear its ugly head in the not too distant future. Sure. But, um, you know, in terms of what Power for All sees as the really important things to focus on in order to get those changes we need to see in the world, which are largely going to happen at a national level. One is, is that, you know, we really need to develop the evidence base further that tells the story of what we call the energy access dividend, right? So it's, it's this concept that there are benefits that we forego by sticking with business as usual energy development, which often takes a decade or more to get connections to a thousand or two thousand people from a single power plant. And so building that case for decentralized renewables and and showing how this is legitimate energy, it's energy people own and um, and can make a choice about is is of critical importance. So that evidence base is important. Um, the second piece that I think I would really push on is more efforts to bridge this divide between a, a black and white understanding of what energy is, as well as this concept of decentralized and centralized not being able to work together. Um, in fact, from our perspective, one of the missing success factors has been this divide where we haven't actually found a way to work together. And we're in the middle of addressing that with our first integrated energy pilot in Uganda with Umeme, um, who I mentioned earlier in the broadcast. And then the third piece is this sort of ongoing work of shifting the narrative. And I don't just mean that from a media perspective, although that's super important. It also means that we have to shift the narrative in decision makers' minds. So that's part of the reason we're we're constantly engaging with the World Bank, the International Energy Agency, um, the World Energy Council, and then with all of the national stakeholders as well. So it, it has to be talking to the ministries of energy and presidents and whatnot to get them on board with not just the, the concept of what's possible by accelerating connections with decentralized energy, but again, turning on that evidence base to show the actual development outcomes, such as better jobs, more educational opportunities, et cetera, by having access. But really in our sort of mind's eye, what we're hoping for is that this movement we've been working on together with partners for years is that we actually begin to start this sort of tipping point approach. So um, Power for All has this uh, sort of sub-campaign we've been working on with um, other partners um, like Hevos and Energia, SNV, these other large international development organizations to called 25 by 25. And that, that goal there is that we think there's actually, based on our research, 25 tipping point countries, mostly in Africa, that with just the right push, we can actually accelerate the adoption of decentralized renewables quite significantly. So I think it's working together to find those opportunities um, with other partners in the sector and doing a sort of unified push in the next five years um, to make sure that throughout all of our work in international development, we're pushing on energy access and uh, we're finding ways to build those markets. Let's talk about some of the money that's actually been deployed. You've got a few different things that I want to highlight. Uh, one is the Utilities 2.0 initiative. We can unpack and sort of discuss a little bit of what that is. And the other is SDG 7 at work, both sub-campaigns, as you put it, uh, beyond 25 by 25 that you guys have been working on this year. Well, let me take a step back and just kind of um, talk about our theory of change being proven out, um, which is that by activating an ecosystem, you can radically transform connections, largely through market transformation. So 
case in point is Sierra Leone. So we launched our campaign there in 2016, um, funded by UK Aid. So um, DFID had funded us to work in four countries at once, completely disparate in completely different parts of Africa to see what we could prove out. Um, and we'd love to point to Sierra Leone as an example of how this approach can really work. So in early days, we got a commitment from the president to declare Sierra Leone as a country that wanted to achieve power for all by 2025. Um, with that, the Ministry of Energy also assembled in what was called the Energy Revolution Task Force um, that our local campaign manager helped chair and helped coordinate. And what was powerful about that is that top-down element of the bold vision and then a task force to hold people accountable um, for actually making this market move. When it was launched, it was launched by pulling together the heads of 149 chief chiefdoms in Sierra Leone. Um, and basically, everyone left inspired. And then our campaign did a couple of things to sort of complete that circle. So first of all, we completely transformed the way that this sector was covered in local media. Literally, once we made an effort, uh, the sort of opportunities to view as what it's known as the sector um, expanded by 11x. And getting that change in understanding of local consumers who actually have to make the choice to choose this kind of energy is super critical. So we complemented that then with going back to the chiefdoms and you know taking companies with us and demonstrating what these products can do and showing the affordability. And then we also did that effort of, of actually getting policy changes in place. So we had the first approved uh, VA free imports of solar products um, in anywhere in Africa, in Sierra Leone, which helped move the market. And then on top of that, we actually just called our partner companies and said, look, Sierra Leone is open for business. We know it's post-Ebola. We know there was a civil war not that long ago. And we know it's a very hard place to get to, but this place is on fire. And literally within six months, um, we went from no footprint of the sector at all in Sierra Leone to literally 10x. So um, the goal was to achieve in about six months, 250,000 connections from decentralized renewables. And we were able to achieve that. That kind of market movement is really what we're after. And it's not at all about us being front and center. It's about supporting others to take that leadership role. Um, so that's one great example of a shining light. But yeah, thanks for pointing out these um, two really great new efforts that we've launched this year. Um, Utilities 2.0, as I mentioned earlier, is an effort to really create an opportunity to take the comparative strengths of centralized energy and decentralized energy and put them together in the hopes of having faster, least cost access. Um, the idea here is that there's a consumer for every product and what's going wrong in a lot of electrification approaches is we're trying just to connect everybody with poles and wires, and that's what often gets funded. But as we know, like in Uganda, for example, where we're doing this U2O pilot, you know, it's a very interesting situation because you have one of two profitable utilities in all of Africa, and yet you have 75% of the population that doesn't have access to energy. And on top of that, we have a new dam that's going to be increasing power by 3x, and we don't have the infrastructure there to make sure it's being used. Plus, what we find is that oftentimes new energy users don't know how to use their energy. They don't know how to sort of walk up that energy ladder. So that approach is, is going to be absolutely fascinating. I'd love to come back and, and talk to you once we've got some more results under uh, sort of underneath our belts. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to find that this model is a really critical model for the future. And then with power and jobs, um, thanks for bringing that up. You know, we've known for quite a while that the jobs that come from decentralized renewables 
adults are generally really awesome jobs. Um, they are more democratized. They, you know, we had sort of an anecdotal evidence that they paid better. They were better conditions. There was more opportunity for mobility, but we didn't really have a study that showed that yet. And because one of the things that we encounter when we're talking with policymakers are how does this relate to jobs? What are the development outcomes that could possibly come from decentralized renewables? We needed an evidence base to help make that case. So that's what we have found in our first year of study empowering jobs is that it is a great set of jobs. It's already, you know, pacing the amount of jobs in the traditional energy sector, but they're often in, you know, much more dispersed area and um, there's great opportunities for youth and women. So um, it's really great findings. And um, if anybody's uh, interested in reading that full report, it can be found on powerforall.org. With regard to the way that you're taking this to market, is there any particular position that you feel like you hold that is controversial to the industry or the world at large that you operate in? You know, I would say to the world at large, I mean, it's still a battle and it's a battle we see here in the United States as well um, and in probably every country on the planet that we don't have to deliver energy you know, the old fashioned way. You know, the grid had a hundred years to get it right and we still have a billion people approximately without access to energy and another billion or so without reliable energy. So I think um, while we've certainly gained some traction and acceptance, but that is still absolutely, um, you know, a drum we need to keep beating. And that's why I, I really consider what we're doing part of a global movement. It's all of us who are fighting for, you know, better net metering uh, in the United States, um, more affordable solar, etc. Like it's actually all part of a global movement that's about democratization of energy. You've had quite an, an interesting career and background, and, and it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. But I wonder, uh, as you reflect on the work you've done and the people who've impacted you, what are some key lessons or takeaways for you from the important mentors who've helped to get you to where you are today? Great question. Well, I mean, to be honest, one of my great sadness, uh, sadnesses in life is that um, I've, I've never actually had any like really strong female mentors. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've figured out a lot of stuff on my own, but um, I would say there's there's probably two or three people who've really made a, a big impression on me and, and given me some lessons to take with me. So sort of stretching back into my early days as a political consultant and running campaigns, um, this fabulous man, Rick Ryder, um, who still is doing initiatives and referendums in Colorado today, you know, he told me the number one rule of successful campaigning is, your list. And um, if you don't have a list that you cultivate and you manage and you segment and you engage in the right way, you'll never create change. So um, that's one of the, the reasons our very first investment was in a CRM system for this campaign. So the list um, is really a, a sort of shorthand for the people um, who are part of your movement. And, and so really understanding how to engage with partners and to bring everybody along in this adventure is, is a big piece of the puzzle. My thesis advisor at university, Sven Steinmo, um, he was really excellent in terms of pushing me out of the realm of coming up with a bunch of great ideas and actually making sure I had the data to back it up. <laughs> so, you know, those are heady days in college. You know, I did my thesis on political alienation and the American identity. My first draft, I had to withdraw it from consideration from my thesis committee because I didn't have the right data. So I actually took a graduate course in statistics in order to learn how to use SPS and do the analysis. And that's part of the reason that we've also focused on having such a heavy research component at Power for All is, you know, your, your ideas 
may be powerful, but it's really the, the data that speaks volume. And, um, you know, the last one would be Jim Rogers, who recently uh, died. He was the former CEO of Duke Energy. You know, it was a really unexpected death, and he was only in my life for a short amount of time, but he was a wonderful board member and instrumental in, um, I think, giving us the confidence as a campaign that we could find this way forward on integrated energy. And you know, one of the things he always loved to say is you're either at the table or you're on the menu. You know, that whole idea, right? Of you either have to get engaged and make a difference or you're going to be what's eaten for lunch <laughs> um, was, was a great reminder, especially in some of those uh, difficult times when, um, you know, you can't always see the, the, straight, the straight path forward. So, so those were all great lessons, I think, um, from some of my mentors. I mentioned in the lead in. If you're unfamiliar with, uh, as, a, as a contributor to our society, this idea of uh, Giving Tuesday, which, which came about, as I understand, around 2012, I wanted to give you all an opportunity to think about not just the meta conversation we're having here with Christina today, but how it can directly apply to each and every one of our lives. For the last week, Christina and Power for All have opened up a campaign that touched back to she you know, accurately pointed out was one of the hardest parts of growing this campaign and running this business that is a nonprofit, which is this, un- this idea of how do you access unrestricted funding? Many of you are probably aware of the Amazon Smile campaign, uh, which allows you to literally fund uh, nonprofits through things that you're already doing, what we might consider to be transfer buying, right? You buy something on Amazon and a portion of that income from Amazon goes towards supporting your nonprofit of choice. For years, I have had that uh, funding going to an organization in California that I, uh, that I highly um, uh, appreciate, uh, that many of you are aware of, Grid, Al- Grid Alternatives. Uh, it's one of thousands of other organizations that's supported through this process with Amazon Smile. Christina, I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk a bit about a campaign that is a first for you all that sort of ties back to this whole idea of Giving Tuesday. I'd like to present it to the Suncast audience as an as a, an option for how you can get in, engaged engaged civically, put your dollars to work, and think about how your you you can literally transform the world from wherever you live in Iowa, in Argentina, through the work that Power for All is engaged in. So, Christina, I'll I'll let you take it from here. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we, we launched ourselves, uh, Profile at the UN um, in 2015. And that whole idea was a promise that we were going to push. And we wouldn't settle for anything less than 100% universal access. And we were going to push everybody to achieve it well before 2030. Um, well, it turns out that costs a fair amount of money. <laughs> and again, you know, what happens with a lot of nonprofits and certainly us is we get in this cycle of program proposals, which are huge and meaningful. And it's, you know, we've got incredible partners um, like the Rockefeller Foundation and the Climate Works Foundation and um, the Packard Foundation, who have all uh, stepped up um, to help support our work. But at the end of the day, you know, Power for All really is about creating a global movement. And, um, and because of that, I think it's a, a, a it's far time for us to turn to the global community um, and create an opportunity for deeper engagement. Um, so yeah, so there's plenty of opportunities coming up in this end of year campaign. Um, as a nonprofit, all the donations are tax deductible, it's power for all. But on our website, we do have a donate page, um, but we also are doing a big push for Giving Tuesday. Um, again, this concept of you know Black Friday and all this consumerism and then there's Cyber Monday, 
Giving Tuesday was really created to create a moment in time, uh, really in the spirit of the holiday season, where we could all make a special effort to do something generous for others. Uh, it could be, you know, making a meal for somebody. It could be just even smiling at a stranger. But um, this is an opportunity to give directly to a campaign um, that can actually help put smiles on the faces of people all over the world that have otherwise uh, we might have missed uh, because they were shrouded in darkness. So we'd love to have you know some of your listeners uh, join in this effort and not just join the campaign through a donation, although that's welcome, but actually be part of this global movement and engage in our social media efforts. You know, if you want to host a webinar at your organization to teach more people about what renewables can do to transform opportunities for people in the developing world, we'd love to be part of that as well. Fantastic. That's actually a great idea and one that I'll certainly take you up on uh, as we move into 2020. We're going to be hosting a lot more live Q&A with our guests and webinars to present the information that is represented within the dialogue and conversation broadly as the Suncast Tribe. As I understand, one that I was unaware of, uh, Facebook is actually going to be matching donations on Giving Tuesday. Is that accurate? That's right. Yeah. So everybody who, uh, I mean, we've got a fairly uh, active presence on Facebook, but for those who actually go to Facebook and donate through Facebook to an organization of their choosing, Facebook is matching that up to $100,000 for each organization that's on Facebook. So that's also another great option. That's just on Giving Tuesday itself. Um, sometimes we're all still sort of sleeping off the turkey in the U.S., <laughs> by that date. So uh, there's opportunities to give all year long, uh, you know, all, all the way through the end of the year in particular, um, also through our website. So either way, we'd, we'd love to have that participation. Yeah. And I can tell you, because I just did it just to see how simple and easy it is. If you go search all one word power, F-O-R-A-L-L Facebook, it will bring you to the power for all Facebook page, or you go to facebook.com forward slash PG forward slash P-W-R, uh, the number for A-L-L. And it will take you to the power for all page. However, I, I, I want to caution because there is a little bit of confusion online. Uh, power for all is written out all as one word. Power, F-O-R, all. There is another organization based in the Philippines, Power, and the number for all. Don't get them confused. I want to make sure that we're directing uh, attention towards, uh, in this case, Christina and her organization, Power for All. You guys must run into this all the time. But you can find, of course, uh, all of this information at Power for All Power. F-O-R-A-L-L dot O-R-G. We'll link to it in the show notes on, on mysuncast.com, as we always do with all of the great information that our guests uh, leave here with us to think about and mull over. I would like to make a call to our Suncast tribe, whether it's Power for All or the local soup kitchen. This is a time of the year that we do have an opportunity to give back. It's a time for us to take uh, a moment and, and put consumerism aside Invest in those around you. Invest in those in other parts of the world who very much need you. Uh, we've all been privileged. If you're listening to this, chances are you're part of the uh, very small percentage of the world that has access to uh, the internet, has access to electricity, has access to so many things that make our lives rich and other lives um, uh, can benefit from the same resources. Take some time today. Consider going on to Facebook uh, and investing in the future of someone else and those uh, that you can impart, not just your wisdom, but your treasure. Uh, with that, I'd like to bring this interview to a close. There are a number of things that when I do have an opportunity to have you back on, we'll dig into like the books that influence you and the habits and practices that help you move through the world as a conscious, thoughtful leader. 
Uh, but for today, as we always do, I'd like to end with our bold prediction. Actually, before I do, I do want to ask, uh, because uh, it was through Twitter that we met, would you mind just sharing uh, the Twitter handles, the hashtags, and other ways that people can, get, can engage with Power for All? Sure, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some sort of digital uh, footprint of this as well. And it's all available on our website. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, you can find me at Christina Skerka. Um, and that's really challenging to spell out. But again, you can find that <laughs> we'll on our it. website. Yeah, we'll uh, have Christina linked. with a K, Skerka, S-K-I-E-R-K-A. Um, and then our Power for All Twitter is uh, Power for All at 2020, or Power for All 2025. Sorry about that. Um, and then finally, the hashtags we always rely on, um, kind of a, a play on the World Bank's end energy poverty. Ours is hashtag end energy poverty faster. I love it. And we'll link to your LinkedIn so that people can also directly connect with you there. Last, as I always say, but certainly not least, let's end with a bold prediction. What one thing do you, Christina, see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? <laughs> My crystal ball. Um, Well, I honestly think that uh, utilities are going to end up, whether it is by force or choice, um, working with the decentralized community uh, in in this ongoing battle to end energy poverty. There's just too much good to come from what uh, decentralized and um, renewables can do for a centralized system, whether it's improving reliability, whether it's improving connections or actually growing demand within their consumer base. I think that's the future. Christina Skierka is the founder and CEO of Power for All. It's powerforall.org. It has been a genuine pleasure to share this space with you today, Christina. Thanks for being here for Giving Tuesday, and thanks for giving of your career, the depth of knowledge, and the wealth of experience that you have to brighten, literally, the lives of millions in the world. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey, you're still here. I love that this little hang time at the end of the show Gives me time with you outro listeners. Plus, you're listening to a Tuesday episode, so I know that you're dedicated to improving yourself personally and professionally. I'm also committed to you and the continual improvement of this show. So I'd like to invite you to please head over to mysuncast.com and take two minutes to give us your feedback in our first ever listener survey. I read each and every one of these and they really have been a joy to peruse and it's given me so much insight and ideas for next year as a thank you i'll be drawing at random from survey takers and email subscribers to gift one year of membership to the suncast guild our inner circle of suncast listeners and this program is going to be getting some long-awaited upgrades in the year to come if you're unfamiliar with suncast guild you can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash member and as a special gift for email subscribers only Through Friday, we're still running a first-ever Cyber Monday special pricing to join the Guild. To get the details, you got to subscribe to our email, we call the Tribe, both a survey entry and an email subscription each enter you into the drawing, as I mentioned before. And finally, as noted in the mid-roll, I've decided to give away 30 minutes of clarity coaching for everyone who applies to our coaching program. Just click on the Work With Me button and fill out an application, and we will quickly get you scheduled for that call i typically charge 150 bucks for this call so take advantage while the offer stands coaching applications are due by december 15th and apart from these clarity calls i'm only going to be adding three new clients so do hurry up and apply i love you i do 
Hope to hear from you soon. Until next time, remember, you are what you listen to. Get out there and give the world what it deserves. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.